One of the fun things about being a parent that I know many of you will have experienced is watching as your kid gets interested in something and then starts practicing it and gaining in skill and you get to watch them grow and develop doing something they really enjoy. For Riley, our older son, art is one of those things. Now, this is foreign to me as someone who never drew a thing if I could avoid it, most because I never considered myself any good at it. But with Riley, it's been a real joy to watch as he follows the progression that I think is common in all, or maybe most, areas of creativity. Starting by imitating, trying to draw exactly what he saw. Then starting to combine two things together into a mashup. He's a big fan of Pokemon, and one day he was busily working on something, and when he finished, he held up a perfect Pikachu (laughs) wearing a tiny tuxedo. (laughs) Look, he said, it's Waiter Chew. (laughs) He had drawn Pikachu in a waiter's outfit at like a fine dining establishment. And then, finally, after the mashup, Riley's starting to create in ways that are entirely coming out of his own mind. Not copying, not mashing up, just creating. And I think that process is the same in, again, all forms of creativity. Like moving from slavishly following recipes to whipping up your own meal out of nothing. I personally never considered myself much of a creative type until maybe my late 20s. Because I was no good at art. I was an excellent trumpet player and could play anything you put in front of me, but was never much good at the improvisation side of jazz in particular. I wasn't much of what is called a creative writer. I was much older when I started to realize, oh, I have ideas that don't occur to most people. Maybe I am creative, but more in the realm of ideas, not the realm of art. And so unlike my younger self, I'd argue that we all have our own areas where creativity bubbles up inside of us. In fact, creativity seems to be an innate trait of humans, this impulse to create. Often that impulse is directed towards some end, some purpose. I need a tool that allows me to do this thing that is necessary for my survival. Or I'm hungry and what I've got in the pantry looks like the rejects of an old episode of Chopped. Or there's a new coronavirus pandemic and I wonder if I could use these ways of manipulating mRNA and apply it to this new problem in in order to save millions of lives. But while necessity might be the mother of invention, as the old saying goes, human creativity goes beyond need. In fact, when I googled necessity is the mother of invention to make sure I was quoting it correctly and to see where that old proverb originally came from, uh, Plato, it turns out, or he said something similar to it that's been modified over the millennia. But when I googled it, I got another quote from Agatha Christie. She said, I don't think necessity is the mother of invention. Invention, in my opinion, arises directly from idleness. Our brains are restless creatives, even when there's no purpose beyond simply creating itself. We get bored and we create. We create music, drumming a beat on the table in front of us. We create food, baking and cooking and mixing all sorts of ingredients into new and delicious concoctions. We create words, beautiful poetry and prose. We create ideas or put existing ideas into new configurations to solve a new problem or to move things forward. We create new ways to get from here to there, wondering if there's a way to beat the traffic by discovering a new route. We create images, and even create new ways of making images, from pencil to marker to charcoal to pastel to paint to computers to scratching with a stick in the dirt. We create organization out of chaos through systems and planning. We create joy and comfort in our relationships with one another. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that none of that counts as creative, unless it reaches a certain arbitrary threshold of artistry. 
We're in a series on Sabbath here, which Meredith started last week with a look at what it means for Sabbath to be holy, set apart. How when we set apart one day each week as Sabbath, the fundamental thing we're doing is opting out of the endless grind of work, opting out of the systems of anxiety and fear, and opting in to the new world God is making, one where rhythms of rest and play are built into work, because God promises us that we will be okay, even if we rest. Hers was more of a high-level look at Sabbath. But each week, we're going to look at a different way that the Bible talks about this multifaceted thing that is Sabbath, what it is, why it is, what we should do, or maybe I should say could do with it. Today's going to be more of a suggestion week, one way that we might expand our understanding of and the richness of Sabbath. Because when Sabbath gets flattened to don't work one day a week because God said so, we lose so much of the richness that the Bible surrounds this concept with. In fact, that's exactly the perspective Jesus is going to criticize in the passages that we're looking at today. This story comes from Luke chapters 13 and 14. I'm going to start in 13 verse 6. And I'm actually going to read a little before the Sabbath part because I don't think it's an accident that Luke puts the parable that begins in verse 6 immediately before the Sabbath story. I think they're related. So I'm going to read chapter 13 verses 6 to 17 and then skip to chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read uh, from N.T. Wright's translation from the Bible for Everyone. So it might sound a bit different than the translation you're used to. And I, I should say before I start reading that both a vineyard and a fig tree were popular symbols for Israel in Jesus's day. So the people listening to this parable would have had no trouble hearing that when Jesus talks about a fig tree in a vineyard, What he's really talking about is the people of Israel themselves. So here's starting verse six. He told them this parable. Once upon a time, there was a man who had a fig tree in his vineyard. He came to it looking for fruit and didn't find any. So he said to the gardener, look here, I have been coming to this fig tree for three years, hoping to find some fruit and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? I tell you what, master, replied the gardener, let it alone for just one year more. I'll dig all around it and put on some manure. Then, if it fruits next year, well and good. And if not, you can cut it down. One Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. There was a woman there who had had a spirit of weakness for 18 years. She was bent double and couldn't stand fully upright. Jesus saw her and called to her. Woman, he said, laying his hands on her. You are freed from your affliction. And at once she stood upright and praised God. The synagogue president was angry that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Look here, he said to the crowd, there are six days for people to work. Come on one of those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. You bunch of hypocrites, replied Jesus. You would all be quite happy to untie an ox or a donkey from its stall on the Sabbath day and lead it out for a drink. And isn't it right that this daughter of Abraham, tied up by the Satan for these 18 years, should be untied from her chains on the Sabbath day? At that, the people who had been opposing him were ashamed. The whole crowd was overjoyed at all the splendid things that he was doing. Then jumping to chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus went to a meal in the house of a leading Pharisee. They were keeping a close eye on him. There was a man there in front of Jesus who suffered from dropsy. So Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. He took the man, healed him, and dismissed him. 
Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well. Are you going to tell me you won't pull him out straight away on the Sabbath day? They had no answer for that. The parable says that Israel, the fig tree, is not bearing fruit. And then immediately Luke moves us into an illustration of exactly this fact. Jesus heals a woman, creating freedom and health for someone who has been oppressed by illness for 18 years. And then she begins creating praises for the God who has set her free. And what do the Pharisees do? Celebrate the new life that has appeared before their eyes miraculously? No, they worry about whether the rules have been followed sufficiently. That's what a lack of fruit looks like in this vineyard. Fruit has been produced right in front of them, but they want to trample it because it doesn't meet their specifications. The Sabbath in this story is a time for fruit, a time for healing and life and praises to be brought into being. It's a time for creation. It's a time for life and joy and beauty and healing to be brought into existence where none had existed before. That is the fruit of the Sabbath. Jesus is not particularly interested in resting from work here, or at least he's creating new connections between rest and life, between rest and healing, between rest and freedom. Those are what rest looks like. Those are what rest means, not just stopping from working to follow some arbitrary rule, stopping from working so that, so that we and others can experience abundant, fruitful life, so that we can create health and healing and beauty like Jesus does here. Sabbath is often talked about in the Bible as an imitation of God, imitating the God who does the work of creating for six days and then sits back to rest, to enjoy the goodness and fruitfulness of what has been created, imitating the Jesus who heals and brings life. And this is where our creative impulse and Sabbath come together. That creative impulse is a reflection of God, our creator, in whose image we are made. And so one of the things we should do, or maybe could do, as part of our Sabbath days, is to create. In one of the many, many ways our creative impulses might take us. Not for any purpose, per se, and certainly not for the purpose of making great art with a capital A, but creating because that is who our God is, and who we are invited to be as God's children. As our response time when we were together, we spent a little time reflecting, reflecting on what types of creativity most connect with you. I've mentioned examples from art to music, to writing, to cooking, to ideas, to organization, to gardening, to conversation that creates joy or having people over to create community. I hope that we can expand our understanding of what creativity looks like as widely as possible and lean into those things. So what would a time of Sabbath look like that included you exercising and enjoying the creativity that exists inside you because you are a child of God? One that comes to mind for me is actually, and this is going to shock many of you, I'm sure, reading books on theology or the Bible. Now that may sound awfully close to work <laughs> for me, but I really do find joy in the way that a good book about the Bible sparks new ideas in my mind, gets my creative juices flowing. I think the line between work to be avoided and creative life-giving practices is a bit blurrier than sometimes it seems, as Jesus points out in the story we read a few minutes ago. So what would a time of Sabbath look like that included you exercising and enjoying the creativity that, ex that exists inside of you? And then also, how can we spend 
the Sabbath, enjoying creativity from others, eating a meal, going for a walk and marveling at the beauty in people's yards, reading a good book, watching an excellent movie. And this is key, not just as something to do to pass the time, but as a spiritual practice, consciously enjoying the creativity that we see as a reflection of the character of God, and then praising God for that beauty. So this is listening to Taylor Swift as a spiritual practice, I guess. <laughs> not because the music is Christian or produced by a Christian, but because it's creative and beautiful. And we worship a God of creativity and beauty. So I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting on these three questions. What sort of creativity could you build into your Sabbath practice? Number two, what creativity from someone else could you enjoy as part of your Sabbath practice? And then finally, the practical one, when and how are you actually going to do that in the coming weeks? May we be people who rest in the creativity that is given to us and given to others by our creative God. Amen.